This week on a lively experiment, is a state takeover of the struggling Providence school system imminent? All signs are pointing in that direction. And some good news for Rhode Island this week is the first major project on the 195 land debuts. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. For 30 years, a lively experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. Joining us on the panel, Maureen Moakley, political science professor at the University of Rhode Island, Boston Globe reporter Dan McGowan, and Ian Donis, political reporter for the Publix Radio. Hello and welcome, I'm Jim Hummel. The condition of the Providence school system continues to dominate the news during what traditionally has been a slow time of year in educational circles. And now with the clock ticking toward Labor Day, it's looking more and more like the state will step in and intervene, but when and how will that look? Um, we've all been over this. Dan, you particularly, you had a story in today's Globe. We, we should note, it's Friday morning, the mayor's going to be having a press conference after this taping or right about the same time, but the real action comes next week. So set the table for it. That's right. So Commissioner uh, Angelica Infante Green obviously has had all these public hearings that we've, you know, following this really scathing uh, report from Johns Hopkins uh, University that detailed God widespread dysfunction in the in the Providence schools. And so what, what we've been waiting for is what's the next step. And on Tuesday, Commissioner Infante Green is going to uh, basically ask the Council on uh, Elementary and Secondary Education for the ability, for the authority authority to uh, what's called reconstitute the school district. It's essentially a takeover. Um, we don't know exactly what she's going to do with that. What she'll do on Tuesday is be granted the authority to do that, and then she'll have to come back within two weeks to kind of present a broader plan. What we can most likely expect is there'll probably be a superintendent that reports directly to her rather than to the Providence School Board. I think you can expect a change, um, changes on the Providence School Board, and I think she'll have a lot of say over how money gets spent. I think those are the big things that you're gonna see in terms of uh, the commissioner sort of taking control. This is about to get really interesting because everyone can agree that the Providence schools need to get better, but you have to break some eggs to make an omelet. So push is about to come, push is gonna come to shove and there were findings in the Johns Hopkins report, like how it called the contract with the Providence Teachers Union a systemic barrier to improving the schools. So what does that mean? I mean, the bottom line is we know there's a need for more accountability in the Providence schools. The need for improvement has been known for decades. Uh, Commissioner Infante Green seems like the right person at the right time to make changes, but it, we will have to wait and see how much pushback there is, how much tension there is about what she proposes and that's all about to unfold. Yeah, I agree because the thing is that well, you described it, Dan, I mean it's not transformative right. and the thing is it seems like it has to be transformative and the question is the barriers with the co teachers contracts. The mayor has already said that he's willing to cede authority just for that purpose to the state and the question becomes, I thought, thought it was interesting, the question becomes to what extent can the players get on the same page to suggest something that's more dramatic or transformative. We, we three talked to uh, the president of the city council, and when I asked her about getting together with Mayor Alorza, will you all be on the same team, that didn't seem to come over too well. She was very, I'll be with the students. 
but there wasn't this willing. Well, I, that's I sense like saying that, I like spring. I'll be with course. the students. Well, that, that's, that's exactly my point. My point is she wasn't going to commit to working with the mayor to move this forward. So I think eggs being broken is a good metaphor yeah. for what's going to happen. One of happen. the things that's really important, I think this is a lot, if you, if you and Ian is, is really right about this, if you think about back to uh, when Angel Tavares was mayor and he said we've got a category five hurricane in, in the city of Providence, right? That got everyone to pay attention and to sort of agree that there is a problem in, in the city of Providence. Very similar right now with Commissioner Infante Green. What she has done is said, look, there's a real problem here. I've got the community behind me. I've got teachers, the teachers union willing to say, yeah, there's probably some changes that need to be made. But this is the moment now to actually reach an agreement. And you're never going to get there without, uh, without some battling, but with also without some kind of concessions and an agreement. If, if this goes the way of the state saying we're going to come in and try to get rid of all the teachers. I think that's probably an unsuccessful thing long term. I think they're going to have to reach an agreement with the union. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, you know, you talk about takeover, <coughs> but they're, they're, you know, they did that in Central Falls right. and it didn't work out too well. That's so right. there's got to be, I mean, Gary Sass well, wrote an editorial. That editor was much more limited state involvement. No, I understand the that. state was basically paying the bills, but right. not really otherwise. But being what involved. I'm saying is, we haven't seen yet something where this has worked. Right. And it's it's a we're on new territory, and it's going to be it's going to be a real challenge. It's a big system too. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it'll be if we could blink forward five years and look back and see how things have gone, it would be great. But we can't do that. Part of what makes this difficult is there's so many moving parts. I mean, we had Commissioner Infante Green in for an interview at my radio station last week. She's very impressive. She's very direct. Mm -hmm. She's very compassionate. She really seems like a good person to lead this charge. But there's so many moving parts as far as, you know, safety is an issue in schools, absenteeism is an issue, the teacher's contract, the curriculum. So, it's such a complex issue to be dealing with, and that's what makes it challenging to move forward. At what point do you think the commissioner flipped the switch? I mean, she's just arrived. She's got to worry about the rest of the state. At, at like, the fifth forum where you have people wailing and crying and yelling and, and do you think she said the state needs to do you th or do you think that's kind of evolved no and, and if i could follow up on jim's mm -hmm. question there's some people who see the johns hopkins report and the public meeting mm -hmm. process as, as a bit of a pretext for the stepped up state involvement do mm -hmm. you buy into that or do you think it's been a, a more organic process? no i completely buy into that they knew what they wanted to do long time ago when superintendent chris marr in providence decided that he was going to step down at the end of the school year. The state saw that as a moment to uh, really intervene in the district. Now, did they know they were going to go with reconstitution and really kind of take things over? I don't think they did. But those forums laid the groundwork very after, much the, so. after the report. Because you that, got the public on board. That's right. You got, the, you got the public to say you know, we're with the commissioner as opposed to, you know, so usually at those forums, look, I, we've all covered them for years. You get five people, they're activists, they're, yeah. you know, they're looking for a job in a lot of ways. This was real, authentic community engagement. What do you think? Yeah, but this, this is, I mean, this is the moment. If this doesn't work now, I don't know when it right. would work. Everything seems to be in place. But the question is, can the leadership get on the same page? The governor is going to have to step up. The legislature seems to be ready to do that. And we, you're going to need some sort of a concerted effort because this has to be, this needs to be transformative. I heard the governor on a soundbite the other day. Were you guys at that uh, thing the other day where she said, and this is my mayor and I'm behind him and we're doing educational reform and we're on a roll. I'm like, well, what role, what role are we on? Uh, were you there? Yeah, that was at the Wexford ribbon cutting. Did that and strike you as 
a little odd? It did because, you know, there are there's always a mix of good news and bad news in Rodan, and it's not every week where on one hand you have New York Times columnist Tom Friedman saying Governor Raimondo would be a great candidate for governor, uh, excuse me, for president, and at the same time Morning Consult, uh, a DC outfit, not everyone loves their methodology, but she ranked in the near the very bottom yeah. of approval ratings for governors in the nation, and at the same time she is doing the ribbon cutting for the Wexford Innovation Complex, this shiny new thing that seems to at least offer the potential of more jobs and economic improvement. But yeah, there was a little bit of happy talk going on there. Wait a minute, why wouldn't there be? I mean, in other words, she's got to step up and talk about working with the mayor. And that's why I was surprised when the city council president wasn't quite there. I mean, they've all got to get together. This is, this has got to work and people have got to step up. Final question on this, Fran Gallo, does it seem odd that she's getting a point, she was in Providence, she's been all over the place, she was in um, East Greenwich and Jamestown and in Central Falls, what does this mean on Tuesday? Is she part of it or does she hit the road? She's a little bit separate. She won't hit the road. Uh, what, what's interesting is, of course, Frank Gallo is considered the big-time reformer from Central Falls, fired all the teachers, very controversial in theory. In reality, though, Dr. Gallo was worked in the Providence school system before she was in Central Falls. With Susan she, Lucy. That's right. She has yeah. the endorsement, essentially, of the Providence Teachers Union. So I think they're going to bring her in. They want the trains to run on time at the beginning of school. They want her. She knows how to run a school system. They're going to have her do that. And then meanwhile, there'll be a parallel kind of track where the state will try to find maybe its own uh, kind of overseer of the district, and, and that will happen. Yeah, so, and just one other thing. Time is running out. School starts. That's, right. that's the problem. Yeah, six, in other weeks. words, you, you, what can you get done except get someone in there to keep the trains running right. while you make this, these kinds of transformative changes? All right, so the big uh, ribbon cutting at Wexford. This is a decade in the making. Ian, this is really a signature opening because, I mean, we've talked about Wexford. They were kind of the first. But to actually have the building open, it's a nice, shiny new building. Talk about the significance of that for the 195. Yeah, man. absolutely. I mean, it's no secret that it's taken a long time to get some forward momentum on development in the I-195 district. That area has always been envisioned as a place to catalyze economic growth. The Fane Tower proposal has been very controversial. But the Wexford complex is a real symbol of something happening. When Governor Raimondo announced this development in 2016, she called it a game changer in the for the state. It's really too early to say whether that is true. But Cambridge Innovation Center, one of the tenants there, does have a very successful track record in Cambridge of helping to bring entrepreneurs together and to help commercialize research and do that kind of thing. So the proof will be in the pudding, but it does offer the potential for growth. Yeah, and I think it's a real anchor. I think it's a good start just because of that. I love the idea of the pedestrian bridge. People are complaining about it costs too much. It doesn't cost too much. It's a wonderful addition to connect the city. And it seems to me that given the legislature's intervention in terms of what Providence can or cannot do about who's going in there, they're moving forward. I mean, now I think they're going to they're going to step this up, and they're not going to put up with a lot of, of uh, foot dragging, if you will. Um, and so I, I think the momentum is there, and I think it's very positive. 
and as uh, Ian mentioned, pretty, posi pr pretty positive for the governor since she got these mixed reviews as ter in terms of her one, capacity one other, to lead. One other note, I mean, everyone expects a recession somewhere on the horizon. We don't know if that's in six months or two years, but, you know, the question is whether that would dampen some of this momentum. Yeah, one of the, you know, I should say in full disclosure. Let's make the disclosure. <laughs> the, the Boston Globe will have office space in the Wexford uh, building. Uh, we're working with the Cambridge Innovation Center to... to Has that scared away some tenants? I think you it probably has. <laughs> me especially, just yeah. not, not the Globe, just yeah. me. But the, uh, They're going to put a big buffer zone <laughs> around the Globe, third floor, everybody, uh, it's, it's vacant except for the Globe, it's wild. Yeah, but one you know, the, when you think about it, to have the Globe there, that's, that's big. a big deal. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a big deal. We're, and we're very excited about it. One of the things, if you go into the buildings, I, I toured the, the building that, that the Cambridge Innovation Center has in, um, on Milk Street in Boston, and you go into that building, you notice an energy. You've got dozens of young companies, entrepreneurs, really kind of trying to build their business. And, you know, I think it's it's a great thing, certainly for us as a small entity in Rhode Island to be there, but also as kind of companies, you know, if you're a Brown University student, you got an idea, maybe you choose to go to the Cambridge Innovation Center in Providence rather than having to go to Boston, rather than having to go to New York. I think that's the goal. Um, judging by what it's been done in Boston, it's been very successful. I, I'm enthusiastic. I hope it will work. Mm -hmm. Sounds, sounds good. We all right. Um, <laughs> overshadowed in all of this, Care New England this week decided that, you know, thanks for talking, uh, Governor, asking us to uh, talk with Lifespan, um, but we're going to pull back at this point. I think part of it is the they're in a little bit better financial shape now that they've, they've uh, Pawtucket Memorial's been taken out of the picture. But this has got to be tremendously frustrating. You called it a loss for the governor, but talk, talk about your thoughts about Well, I mean, I think, you know, I think it's a loss for the governor, but I think it's a loss for the state because the fact is they're not in the deep problem that they were in, but there's too many hospital beds. The real issue, one of the issues that are going on is there's going to be, have to be massive layoffs in terms of any kind of consolidation. And I think they're the most vulnerable of the players. And therefore, um, they're not anxious to move along because it's going to affect the con if you, when you're talking about a statewide system and if you're they talking, get absorbed then they, they lose some of they their lose people. some of their people right. they're the, they're sort of the weak link if you will against lifespan so I can understand while they're pulling back and I don't know what kind of pressure the governor or the state can do to make this happen or move along. This raises the question of whether we'll see Care New England partner with Partners Healthcare out of Boston in the future and whether that would lead to a migration of healthcare services from Rhode Island to Boston. We just don't know right now. But Partners is still kind of dangling, right? Because yeah. then yeah. people say, well, let's let Care New England and Lifespan get together and then Partners comes in. I don't know if that seems yeah. remote. And, but. and, you know, it's been so difficult trying to get Care New England and Lifespan to make a deal. There have been a lot of attempts and it has not worked so far. The head of Care New England uh, held open the possibility of something happening in the future, but not right now. So, you know, for now, I think there's still more questions than answers. Yeah, keep in mind, Care New England needs more than $100 million in capital investments, right? That's so the point. They, I mean, they're not in great shape. That's, that's right. The, point. They, the cash they have flow's a, good, but they need... Exactly. And so, and so you've got a situation where they may, you know, they were entitled to pull out they were always the the ones at the party that were kind of not fitting in. They did mm -hmm. not love this idea mm -hmm. from the get-go. Um, they gave it a you know they gave it a go, but now they need to find somebody. That's why partners is a logical choice. But you know I think you can expect opposition again, just like last time. You think this took the governor by surprise? I think that she probably saw going in that direction, but when the governor holds a, you know, media availability with all the reporters and, che and cheers about, you know, we're going to get a deal done this summer and they pull out midway through, uh, never a good sign. 
Yeah. I wonder what the next step is going to be as far as she's concerned. I don't know. And then, you, but I think the more interesting is what Ian said about partners kind of looming in the background. And, you know, nothing's going to happen immediately, mm -hmm. but where do you go? Mm -hmm. Maybe she's just think I got other things on my plate. And this also this under, underscores the importance of Brown University. During the Wexford ribbon cutting, uh, one of the head of uh, Wexford Science and Technology, Jim Barron, said, you know, they wouldn't be in Providence if it weren't for Brown University. So the question is whether Brown can help uh, wag this dog in a positive direction for the state. You know what we haven't talked about for a while? Hasbro. They've been uh, flying under the radar screen, but now we see that they've hired a pretty high-profile lobbyist. I don't know what to read into the tea leaves on this. Mark Ryan, who worked for the Journal for years, has been a, a lawyer and is doing a lot of lobbying now. I, I, maybe that's a good sign that they're going to stay in Rhode Island, not necessarily Pawtucket. I mean, what do I, you read into that? My, my read is that. I don't think, I think they're out of Pawtucket, unfortunately. And I think the fact that they have the lobbyists, and I think that the governor is passionately involved in keeping them here. And I think the question is, what kind of a deal can they get from the state? What kind of incentives? And hiring a lobbyist suggests to me that they're trying to get the legislature on board. I mean, I think they're staying. I think they want to stay, but they're not going to stay in Pawtucket. Do you think they're staying? Uh, my analysis is similar. I mean, you don't hire a lobbyist like Mark Ryan unless you are looking to get something from the state. He's an influential guy, former high-profile executive at the Providence Journal. And, uh, you know, I think just based on the difference in... Uh, ambiance between Providence and Pawtucket, the company would be far more likely to go to Providence. It's got more of the city uh, amenities that young workers are looking for. Pawtucket is a great city in its own right, but it, I think this would suggest the company is more likely to stay in Rhode Island. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that this is going to set off is a conversation about tax subsidies, and we're going to have to have another conversation about whether or not it's the right thing to do to keep a major, you know, company or entity here. You know, look, Hasbro could be anywhere in the world, right? They're a, they're a hot company mm -hmm. and and getting hotter based on all the, the movie business stuff that they're in so you know I, I think that this is a logical move for them it's probably a good sign for Rhode Island that they are interested enough to hire a lobbyist because they again they could be anywhere but right. do they use him to play off the better deal so what I'm saying is to say hey you know we've got this deal for Massachusetts or wherever California you use him to maybe leverage better right. for the state. Well, yeah, but the thing is that they're going to get a deal anywhere. I mean, in other words, and I don't think we yeah. can come up and say, well, we're not giving you anything. You just, you're just you going to come here because you love us. So that's not going to happen. But I do think that, I think Ian's right. The city is, you know, I love the city. I think it's coming along, and I think it would be a great move for them. And I think... Um, I think they're, they're leaning towards staying here. I mean, I think they see benefits in staying where they are. And so, you know. Uh, your point is well taken, Jim. I mean, it, it, mostly businesses uh, seek a number of offers from different states in this kind of situation. So they might be, uh, you know, hiring up in other venues as well. But it does raise the possibility of uh, what other entities might be trying to attract them. All right. Dan had a very interesting story this week about sports betting. Um, the good, the bad, the ugly, and maybe we're hostage to good teams here. The Patriots kind of <laughs> sunk know. them. Maybe if we lived in, you know, I don't know, wherever, Kansas, we wouldn't be doing so well. So give us the synopsis on they're still fairly confident that this is going to be a revenue. That's right. So uh, what Cautiously I want, optimistic. That's right. So everybody, you know, I think a lot of people were alarmed by the fact that Rhode Island came in way under the revenues they expected for this, you know, for the first fiscal year that sports betting was in. They, you know, at one point wanted $23 million. They didn't get, come anywhere close to that. Um, the, the key is that, look, 
sports books are in business because they win, right? And in this year, happened to be unlucky. Literally, the Super Bowl changed a major, you know, was Rhode Island was the only state with legalized sports betting in the entire country that had a losing month at all over the last year. Have they brought any bookies on and consultants yet? Have, they, have you found that in I any tried of the to, records? I, I actually tried to get pulled on, but they get didn't want people me. people so. who know what they're doing, right? <laughs> but the people are, I, I should say, that I talked to several experts for the story that I did this week um, who say, look, there's not a lot to worry about. Again, yeah. sports Books win, for the long be, run. That's right. I mean, it's too early. It's the first year right. there were these odd situations because of the Patriots. And I mean, it, in the future, it's going to work. And I, I mean, I think everybody could be optimistic about that. Uh, I don't think I don't think there's any real downside to this. Um, but it's just very interesting that our strength was our weakness in this case. As Dan's reporting indicated, uh, this is likely to rebound very much in the future. I think the bigger takeaway is you live by the sword, you die by the sword. For a long time, gambling revenue has been Rhode Island's third largest source of revenue. But with the development of more gambling attractions in Massachusetts, does that start to soften? And how does the state state make up for the losses? I think that's the bigger question. Well, they're, they're, they're gaining now. In other words, they're, yeah, it's, new, it's, it's a new revenue stream. But, but it's a competitive landscape right, and sure. Massachusetts, you know, there's, yeah. a, it's, there's yeah. a saturation going It's inevitable on. that Massachusetts and Connecticut will legalize sports right. betting. Right, and I mean, but, I mean, there's a saturation point, but there's a level there. Sure. And I mean, we're not going to not invest in gambling. It's that's unfortunate, right. but that's the way it is. And the question is, how do we play the that game? The danger is you rely on that to the, and you know, you don't get more holistic kinds of economic development. Well, I think you do both. Last quick question. We just have a minute uh, before we're going to go to the next topic. Um, in the legislature, did the 195 bill go through? I was going to ask you this during Wexford. Mm -hmm. Is that been? Has it gone all the way yes, through? Yes, that, that was in the budget. So yeah, so the, that means that the state, essentially the 195 commission, will have control of the 195. So did this land. green light then for the Fane Tower? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I mean, look, there are still chances that the Fane Tower doesn't happen for other reasons. The economy could change. But that's that. what we're they're, they're in good shape. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Following our inaugural scholarship award last year, Rhode Island PBS is proud to award Adam Zangari a fifteen thousand dollars scholarship for the upcoming year. Adam just graduated from Lincoln High School, and he plans to attend the University of Rhode Island to study journalism. And he joins us here on the lively set. Adam, welcome. Thank you. We Thank had you your predecessor me. last year. You're still considering going into journalism. You haven't changed your mind. Yet. I am. Yes, I'm majoring in. A, I'm going to be majoring in journalism in high school. Uh, not in high school. In, uh, at URI and throughout high school, I've uh, had a journalistic presence, both as editor in chief of my newspaper and basically the anchor of our broadcast. So Great. I continue on continuing. Do you have any tips for us here on Lively? Since <laughs> uh, the I will tell you, you guys have it down pat. We um, so the Harrington School, uh, Marine, bring in here. Harrington School is just wonderful. What a great it's place a wonderful to go. place. It's been a real transformation, not only in terms of the curriculum and also the um, the building. They're taking over. They took over a building. They renovated it. The kind of two way technological things that they have. And by the way, some they've hired some really outstanding professors. Great. So you are um, you're in good shape. Uh, you're going to have a wonderful opportunity. Uh, and are you going to live on campus? I will be living on campus, yes. And okay, I and that's I'm, a good way to get yeah. get involved with the paper and the radio station and so forth, so you can exactly. continue your interests. So, Adam, we don't have to tell you we've got seasoned journalists here. Um, I'm kind of on the back end of my career. This is not the easiest profession to get into now. Why journalism? Um, I mean... It really always sort of, I started taking journalism classes in 10th grade, actually. I didn't go into high school with this belief like, oh, I'm going to go into a journalism career and all that. But as soon as I started taking journalism classes, I kind of got hooked. I, you know, had my first story in our school paper. I was like, this is cool. And then, 
you know, I kind of always wanted to be on the broadcast, and I did that, and, well, um, I did kind of, as you would say, fall in love with it. It's not the easiest career to get into, and especially with uh, news these days and the uh, treatment of journalists in some places these days, it's not the easiest to get into, but it's certainly, I feel, rewarding, and it's, I mean, this career has kind of rewarded me so far, and I hope it continues to. Adam, how do you look at the role of reporters, particularly in a time when we see President Trump uh, calling out what he determines to be fake news? I mean, that's a, that's a big thing because reporters do need to uh, stand up, really, in that case, um, sort of make their case that they are impartial. And there needs to be a uh, sin sincere and serious distinction, I think, between reporting and journalism and editorials and the like, which I don't think there's as much of a distinction, but yes, I would say journalists do need to stick up for themselves with, um, I'd say they're in greater trouble here than they ever happened before and around the world in countries like Turkey and China and the like where plenty are imprisoned and even executed. As, as John Adams said, facts are stubborn things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Adam, uh, one thing I would say before I ask you a question is uh, a piece of advice. Um, as a young journalist, get to know the, the leaders in the market that you're in. And I could say for these two guys, Jim Hemmel and, and Ian Donis have been wonderful mentors to me as a reporter, so that's a piece of advice. But then mm -hmm. my next qu my question for you is, um, journalism used to be a very, you know, even for me, was, was a thing of, I want to be in a newspaper someday. And, and that was what I sort of focused on. It didn't work out exactly that way. But um, for you, it looks like you're entering a, a time of journalism where everything is really changing. What excites you about, about the, the ability to do lots of different things? I mean, I'd say that whole ability to do a bunch of different things is what really excites me in general, because throughout high school, of course, I sort of entered with this whole, I want to be in broadcast, but then I started doing print, and I love that as well. And in, the, uh, in media today, generally, there's been a convergence of the two, so I kind of get an opportunity to... Uh, sort of, I don't have to quit one, I can do both, and uh, I can look for opportunities in both fields. Yeah. I think the most important thing, and you hit on it, I mean, as far as the compensation, if you can be in something that you love, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you love the work, it's not work. Yes. And yeah, I mean, I've always told I my kids, you got a lot of days to work the rest of your life, find something you're passionate about. I also think this generation, Ian, you and I are a little bit older, that you are so familiar with video and with audio and all of that coming together that I've said the younger generation coming up now is so much better equipped than we were. Like when I was in television, we had everybody kind of doing everything. Now you're going into, into um, college, you've kind of had that springboard from what you've done in high school, right? I would say so, yeah. And that's where uh, I think education nowadays about, like you said, video and audio has come in because I, before I entered high school, before I started taking journalism classes, I had no clue how to edit a video, but I've gotten pretty good at it throughout, uh, throughout high school. I intend to get better at it as well. And nowadays, as I've been told, I went to uh, NBC10 um, not too long ago. Um, reporters basically have to do everything like that for themselves. They have to uh, do spot interviews, come up with that. Um, they have to do their own camera work a lot. So mm -hmm. I'd say uh, we really have to be prepared for more, and I'm glad I got that preparedness. What opportunities, just quickly, on campus are you looking for? There's a newspaper, there are broadcasts. What, what would you like? I know, I know you got to get your academics, right, under uh, your freshman year. But what, what would you well, the well, well, that's a whole other discussion. We'll talk to you about that later. Um, what would you like to do in terms of what's available on campus? Again, yeah, I would say definitely 
the one thing that uh, my advisor, who's great, Mrs. Uh, Doreen Picosi, she's incredible, um, one of the first things she told me is right away get involved in radio and I'm planning on doing that and I'm also planning on getting involved at the Five Cent Cigar which is uh, um, the uh, URI newspaper and Mary Lynn, who I know PBS also offered a scholarship to, she was also a graduate of Lincoln High School last year. Um, she's one of the editors there right now and um, I'm looking, essentially I followed in her footsteps at Lincoln. I, who knows, I could uh, sort of do the same there. Okay. Thank you so much for coming. It is great to have you. Thank you great for Great to having have me. all of you this week. And again, Adam, good luck. And good Ian, luck. great to see you. Dan will be coming over to visit at the new building, at the new office. And Maureen, thank you for coming. Uh, thank you for coming. Never a dull moment here. Uh, we will be all over what's happening with Providence Schools this week, and we'll have the analysis for you next week as a lively experiment continues. Have a great weekend, everybody. experiment is generously underwritten by for 30 years a lively experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders hi I'm John Hazen white jr. and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program